It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 65 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. You're welcome. Thanks. Happy Thursday, everyone, in this pirate-filled week. We've met Jack's motley crew. We've discovered that both Jack and Marty are womanizers and ladies' men, we should just say. <laughs> Jack's had some conversation with parrots, much like Heather. So I think we're really on the road to going somewhere. I can have a conversation with any animal. That's true. That's why we have that as part of our, our podcast <laughs> and our show here is to have the animal information. But the big news is we're finally arriving to Isla de Muerta. The curse is in full swing, and we have finally gotten to the origin of it. So it should be exciting, and it's always nice to reach a milestone for something that we've been talking about for a while now. (laughs) It's like we're on a journey. We're on a ship that's just taking forever sometimes, and you're going, thank God we made it to this place that we've been talking about the whole time, or this had a connection, and we finally get to see it. It just makes it nice. It's like we're taking the voyage with them. Exactly. It feels like that, Uh because you talk about the same stuff for so long. Or you talk about certain things for so long because it's not just a minute, but it could be, you know, 30 minutes just on one show exactly. for something. And now that we're finally actually getting to see Isla de Muerta, it gets a little exciting. brings a tear to my eye. I think you just like saying the name of the island. It is because it has that death and it fits well with my blackened heart. So it's all well. <laughs> At least you have a heart. <laughs> That's true. You don't have one. That's what you keep telling me. I say we just get going. Well, let's go. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow and his motley crew are navigating towards Isla de Muerta through one heck of a manufactured storm. The powerful winds are flinging Marty around the deck while he attempts to wrestle the rigging as Jack manages to maintain their heading. The ever-curious Will Turner inquires about the ability to reach their location with a broken compass and gets more of a riddle than he bargained for from Gibbs, who says the compass doesn't point north. Minute 65 begins with Gibbs finally finishing his line. In your head, that's put you in such a fine mood, Captain. Sparrow replies, we're catching up. We cut to the Black Pearl in the foreground of an unnatural fog, all nestled in the harbor of the mysterious Isla de Muerta. Elizabeth Swan peers from the cabin's window. The minute ends with the cursed crew rowing the longboats towards a cave on the island. The camera begins to pull out of the cove to give us a complete view of Isla de Muerta. Well, we're finally at Isla de Muerta, because I just had to say it one more time. (laughs) But before we get there, actually, Jack really wants the pearl. I mean, we see that right at the end when he's talking with Gibbs before we cut away from there. And I just get the feeling just by that look on his eyes that he's not going to let anything stand in his way like the storm. That's why in the last minute when Gibbs is like, should we pull the canvas? He's like, no, she can take it. Yeah. And he just says, we're catching up. And you can just totally see it in his face that that's the only thing that matters to him. Well, this look and this voice that he has here when he says, when he says, the look in the, and his voice here, 
when he says we're catching up. It's like totally out of character, like a different hmm. Jack. It's kind of a, he doesn't talk like that at any other point in the movie so far. It's a, it's like he's so super focused on it that yeah. it's like, we're he's, he's channeled even. his, like his real character before he went to this Looney Tunes kind of thing that he does. Yeah. It's, it's so out of character. It's so different. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So it's an interesting choice that he did to play that like that to actually put that hard focus on it. But we've seen it before though. It's kind of almost channeling that idea when enough is enough for him. Like when he in is like with Will and you know, he has that change in tone of his voice when they're sword fighting and he's finally like, you just we gotta stop this. Or when he was with Norrington and Gillette and Governor Swan and had Elizabeth, you know, he finally kind of puts his foot down all joking as a side. He's not joking anymore and he gets that stern voice. But this is this is still a little different than that. I would <laughs> repeat it, but I can't. It's just a uh, maybe. It's just out of excitement or out of greed. He's getting greedy. This is my thought. He's getting greedy that we're almost at the pearl. I'm going to take the pearl. I'm going to give Barbosa what he's looking for and take the pearl. This greed he's got, and it's like a almost like that. Is it greed or is it dollar signs in his eyes almost? I don't know if he's concerned so much with the treasure as he is. He's with not. He wants the, the black pearl. Yeah, with the pearl. It's the greed of the black pearl. Is it pearl. the greed of the black pearl or is it that's what his life is? I mean, I guess we could say that it's greed because that's what he's focused on. Yeah. I mean, it's like he's hype, he's so focused on it, that's all that he cares about. And that's what we've seen, though. We've seen that from him. That's been his Yeah, whole, but this is, it's there. Well, it's in reach, whereas everywhere right. else it hasn't quite been in reach. And now he knows that they're catching up and he can almost taste it that it's right. there. He can almost put his hands on it. He can just feel that the wheel is going to be in his hands again and he's ready for it. He's got that. Well, it's been 10 something years. So you got to imagine, I mean, if we step all the way back to when he's in the prison cell or that jail cell at Fort Charles and he goes... I know those cannons. It's the pearl kind of thing. Yeah. Now, he's like, basically, I've been out here 10 years looking for this ship, this ghost ship, if you want to call it that, that's always eluded him yeah. and has this weird curse and supernatural properties about it. Now, it's actually something he's found. And he's been driven ever since that moment when he saw it in the harbor at Port Royal. Now, he knows where it is. Now, he can track it. Now he's actually going to find it when this is probably the closest he's been in 10 years to getting it back. Right. And so he's got this, maybe it's an urgency or a... Yeah, definitely there's some an kind urgency. Of, it's a complete different tone and look. Well, it's we're not going to pull the sails down just because of a storm. Yes. Because then that could delay things and I could miss this ship. Yeah. I'm here and we're going to get this back. And how does Gibbs know that he's in a fine mood? Just by looking at him or... I think by looking at him and by the fact that maybe he's so upbeat and not going to take down the sails. The storm's not going to hold him back. They don't, they're not going to take any precautions with the storm. He's, I think that's all part of it. Okay. Is my guess. Yeah. I was just... Does he know Jack that well to see and feel that? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe Jack would normally be below deck with some rum at this time of night in the storm, <laughs> and having one just one of the crewsmen or the helms, you know, designating somebody to be a helmsman to steer the ship and just keep it pointed in this direction. Right. But he's on board doing it. He's focused on it, and it's very focused. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's it. 
Then we cut to the Black Pearl and Elizabeth looking like a sad little dog peering right? out from that window. She's <laughs> like, help me. The only thing we're missing, actually, is a sad song and some rain falling on the glass. <laughs> and then it'd be a perfect, perfect scenario. <laughs> it'd be Banjo waiting for the rain to stop. <laughs> That's right. Banjo's our dog who gets upset when it's raining because he likes to be outside. <laughs> and so what do you make of the makeshift ceremony with Elizabeth there? What are your thoughts on that? I haven't put much thought into that. You haven't put much thought into that? That's like what this whole minute is. Well, I didn't is. think of it as a ceremony. I mean, everybody's standing around. You didn't think of it as a ceremony, really? Uh-uh. Really? Yeah. Uh-uh. Let me change your mind, Okay, please lass. do. They're getting her ready and putting the medallion around her neck. Everything's really formal that they're standing there, okay? Just think about that. Definitely, they're taking things to the next level now. That they're really close to getting the end of this curse or getting the curse removed. So I have to imagine that this is something that they came upon later and wasn't some reverence that they've had earlier. Because they didn't respect the curse or believe the legend of the curse to begin with. And that was the bad move. That was their downfall. And we heard that Barbosa said that he didn't believe the curse either. Right. So I'm guessing that his reverence is a direct correlation to the 10 years of hell that they've had and that they've had to go through. And now that they can taste freedom or they can taste that, like that proverbial apple, he doesn't want to screw it up because we all know like this pirate crew, this cursed pirate crew, and even before they were cursed, would not be this formal or would not be this ceremonial in normal circumstances. They would not put this medallion around her neck, but Barbosa would have a death, tight grip. death grip on that thing yeah, not to let it go away, right? Right. Yeah, because he doesn't want to lose it. It's like she's almost like prim and proper. She's all kind of dressed up. Not that she's really in a dress, but it just looks like more that she is. She's in the red dress still, Is she still in the red dress? I don't remember now. I think she's still in the red dress. Okay, so she's in the dress. Oh, yeah, she is in the dress. And, you know, they're putting that necklace around her neck. You have some of the other pirate crew there. But it's not like they're just hustling her off and binding her hands and putting her in the the long boat, I should say, and rowing her to the island. It's... Putting the necklace gently around her neck. It's almost like she's going to be a sacrifice. Well, I guess that, well, there you go. I guess I answered my own question. But they're not the types to actually engage in this kind of ritual, ceremonial sacrifice kind of thing that I would think. They would just make it happen and get it done as opposed to ancient cultures that we see and learn from on television with human sacrifices and all these movies that we now take as stereotypes you know, they got to do all the flowers and the flower crown and the coronations and all these kinds of things. They get them all dressed up. They strap them to that wooden crossing and then a giant gorilla hand comes and takes the lady away. And goes, oh, is that not how it goes? Or, 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 the, or they dump her into the volcano. Oh, yeah. So there's all these things, right? There, it's all these ceremonies. Yeah. But here we're getting them doing that kind of same ceremonial thing, that touch, as opposed to just get in the dang boat. We're going over there. And he's got that tight grip on that that necklace or that chain with the medallion and the gold Aztec gold on there that he doesn't want to let go. And then when they're sailing over, it's a very quiet, nobody's talking, nobody's making any noise or anything. It's just a, they're just rowing to the... To the, the island. The island in silence. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It feels very ritualistic. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just feels ritualistic right. here. Because you think, well, I mean, I'm trying to 
gauge all these other pirates, which we haven't seen too much of them besides being skeletons on there and then raiding Port Royal. So my only reference of these guys, for the most part, is them running around like crazy dudes or being skeletons. But I think that they would act more like idiot Rigetti here. <laughs> and and that kind of excitement yeah. than they are when he's really the only one doing it and everybody else isn't. Because I just think that they're really engaging in this weird ritual thing, which maybe it makes sense because it is, an, as, he, as Barbosa put it, a curse from heathen gods. So maybe he's taking this as, we're not going to screw this up. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and do all the ritual things with it that go along with this ceremony to make sure that we get our curse lifted. Well, I think it's definitely all ran by Barbosa. You know, it's all coming yeah. from him. So maybe all he, following well, his yeah. lead. I mean, they are following his lead. And it's been 10 years they've been like this. And he's looking at this could possibly be the last hour we're going to be like this. Yeah. So it is more of a kind of a happy. He's graduating from being skeleton man to right. now being human again. And he's kind of, well, I guess it is he's reveling in that moment of feeling, remembering and about to know what it's like to be human again. And we and talked some taste of this. That yeah. Apple. Yeah. So we talked about some of this before that he has that he's honoring and remembering what it's like to be human. He's been holding on to what it is to be human. And that was when Elizabeth's even dinner scene when he's just really eyeballing that food and and wanting her to taste it and stuff. Now, yeah, he's he's moving on to that next stage and going to actually move to the point where he can taste all that food. And so I think it's just really a big moment for him. And he's excited about it in his own way. It's really this, yeah, this immense emotional time for everybody. And you have to think he hasn't tasted... Good food in 10 years. Well, he hasn't yet. Anything pleasurable like, he hasn't yeah. felt or tasted. Maybe he's like a little worried that he's built his mind up that. Well, okay. That's a good point. It's going to be. That's a good point. It's that he's also, it's, it's like sometimes when there's something and you kind of delay because you're afraid. Maybe I've built it up so much in my mind because I haven't had it. That when you finally get it, it's not going to live up to you, the expectations. Yeah. So you get everything built up, and then you go there, and you go in the theater. You hear the Star Wars logo just shoots across the screen. The music comes up, or you actually hear the 20th Century Fanfare come up. And then you get the crawl for the Phantom Menace, and it just doesn't feel right. And you're like, what the hell is this going to be? Damn you, Phantom Menace. Damn you, George Lucas. What the hell did you do? There you go. I just explained it. That's right. I had it all built up. I was all in my ceremonial t-shirt and shorts, most likely, going to see Phantom Menace. And I thought, I can't believe Star Wars is coming back around. It's going to be a whole new adventure. And I just felt the wrongness when that crawl happened. It just did not feel right. And I was right. Phantom Menace came. And I was saddened. See? That's exactly what happened here. He's He's, worried that when he gets in there, that Jar Jar Binks is going to pop out. (laughs) I don't think he's worried about Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Misa needs the Aztec gold. <laughs> okay, we got rail- derailed on Star Wars. But the point is, he got it built up so much in his mind, he's afraid that when he gets there and the curse is alleviated or removed, that maybe everything that he's built up in his mind is not going to be as good as it was. Do you think he's worried that this isn't going to happen? Maybe. Maybe that's also it. I don't know, because it's really reverent. That's what it just is. It really is just, it's just an interesting scene, I think. The whole thing, yeah. from the time they're getting ready to get off the ship, 
to in the log boats and everything. It's all just really quiet and like you That's said. That's what I said. It's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. I, I think it works. I don't see any problem no, with no. it. I'm just trying to decipher what what he was thinking when he was doing it yeah. and why he was doing it that way. Maybe our guesses is correct. Maybe our guesses are correct. <laughs> our guesses is correct. Yeah, that's pirate. <laughs> During the ceremony, you have the crazy wooden eye Rigetti, as yeah. I said, and he's huffing like an animal again. And we saw this. When did when did this happen he's like last? Going, actually, hoo, 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 hoo. yeah. When did we see that last? When he was attacking the Swan Mansion, he was acting like that. Is that when it happened last time? He was also doing some kind of crazy. Yeah, it yeah. was when he was about to capture Elizabeth. He started doing yeah. something like that. And then she got him with the bed warmer. <laughs> he, he's like the dogs. He gets so excited he can't control himself. That's exactly what I had in my notes. So I had... I read the, your notes, by the way. Walk the plank. I'm just kidding. That wouldn't shock me. See, all of my brilliant ideas, and she just takes them and tries to pass them off on her own. I'm going to start writing them in some kind of secret language. But everyone is really solemn, but he can't contain his outburst. No. So I'm guessing he's, this is my theory with Rigetti. He's actually a little bit backed up and in desperate need to visit <laughs> Tortuga. <laughs> he's got to get there. Yeah. He And he is like a dog. Well, he's like our dog, at least. And his name is Banjo, as we already said. And Banjo gets so excited, for instance, when we play Bubbles. And it's just Bubbles by me. That, I mean, taking a kid's Bubbles <laughs> and you blow Bubbles out in the backyard and the wind takes it and they're blowing all over the place. And he loves to chase them, but he gets so excited he can't help but bark and bark and bark and until yeah. it's just so annoying and probably annoying everybody else <laughs> yeah, in the neighborhood. Because he's super loud. Yeah, but he can't control himself. He's just smiling away, jumping and trying to catch these bubbles. And I think that's Rigetti. He is Banjo. Yeah. He can't help himself. He's so excited. He's probably already booked a longboat to Tortuga, and he needs to get there right away. I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> he's got so much pent up energy. He's gonna. We can do call like it a... energy. <laughs> I was keeping it. There's a blue aura here. about it. <laughs> you know the cartoons where they can row really, really quickly. Yeah, that's exactly what he's gonna do. <laughs> so that's my guess. But yeah, he he does. He's quite the character, Rigetti. Yes, he is. And then we also have some really good attention to details, and this has been throughout the whole movie that I've noticed, and we've talked about it quite a bit. So there's just a couple of things I wanted to point out since I wanted to try and do an announcement like Heather usually does on things. Please do. It works well. It's to the point that they even broke some glass in the lights of the stern on the pearl. Oh So yeah. you have some of those big kind of lamps or lanterns that are on the back of the stern. And some of those panes were even broken. And that's just how crazy detailed they can be on the set and yeah. with the production. It's really just pretty cool. And amongst the three lights, we have an ornately carved piece that includes two Neptunes. Each are holding a trident. And one on the left and one on the right, actually. And each of their tails are interlocked with another fish. It's also on the left or the right. Which is just this really ornate piece that you get a good center shot of right yeah. in the film. So I did some looking. And just by chance... I found that the artist who actually created that was Michelle Millet. And she did the sculpture work, actually carved it all from foam. And then they did like a hardening process. And then, you know, they did the art stuff. But she actually was just the sculpture on it, the sculptor on it, and just did that work, which is pretty cool. Wow. So she carved all of that, That's which really is actually cool. quite amazing. Yeah. And it was carved in four pound yellow foam. And then she had two other assistants that helped her. And it took them three weeks to do the entire carving. Wow. She also makes a return appearance as an appearance for doing some work 
in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, which is the number two film, and it's also probably in part of three, but she does the Pirates Oregon, that one that Davy Jones plays. Oh, really? Yeah, that ornate thing. She actually yeah. carved that out of foam, too. Wow. So actually, it's a good point. I'm going to share it in our Facebook group, the Cursed Listeners Crew, where we have some of these discussions. So if you're not part of that yet, just go ahead and go to our page or go to our website and then go ahead and join, and I will get you into that closed group. We can have some conversations, and you can see some of these cool sculptures that she actually did for Curse of the Black Pearl and other Pirates of the Caribbean films. And you see them kind of in that raw yellow foam phase, and it's pretty cool that she worked on those. Huh. Very cool. She also worked on Jurassic Park 3 and Indiana Jones 4. Did some other carvings for that. She's a busy girl. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that she was, but there was also in 2010, I was just reading some of the, because she was really easy to interact with, apparently, with people. And I was reading some of her interactions with other, say, fans or people that she was sharing her artwork with. And she said in 2010 that things were getting a bit slow with far as film goes for these foam carvings and stuff yeah. because CGI was taking oh. over a lot of that. So they're not necessarily coming to her quite so much as they used to in the early days because CGI, they're able to do all of this stuff digitally now and just put oh. it right in or kind of green screen it or get it on there. So they don't always need these big elaborate sculptures and pieces anymore. Wow. So it puts the computer guys to work, but... Yeah, and then the actual artist, <laughs> well, it's a different kind of artist. It's still yes. an artist being a computer person, and I yeah. like to play with graphic design and stuff too. So I know, I'm not disparaging you guys. In Roman mythology, King Neptune was the god of fresh water, which is something I had found interesting because I always associated him with the ocean. But oh, yeah. Roman mythology, he was originally the god of fresh water. It was until 400 BC when he started to become identified with King Poseidon of Greek mythology and thus taking on the role god of the sea. And since all pirates think of themselves as gods of the sea, it's fitting that Jack and Barbosa both commanded the pearl, which actually has two Neptunes on it. Think about that. There's wow. kind of two main captains. One so, for Jack. Yeah. So and think one about for that. Yeah. Maybe this is a symbol for the Pearl's two main captains, is my guess. Right. You know, you have the two Neptunes, the gods of the sea, and you have both the of them there. But it goes even further because I really love to get into this stuff. And I didn't find this is all Scott. This is all coming from this black heart, crazy mind stuff here. You also have one Neptune on the left and one Neptune on the right. Okay. Yeah. And that's what makes this more interesting is because in the Latin word sinistra originally meant left, but took on the meaning of evil or unlucky by the classical Latin era. And this double meaning survives in European derivatives of Latin and in the English word sinister. Oh, really? Left, sinister. Whereas right has roots meaning morally good, justified, and acceptable, and say movement in a straight line. So you have right and left. Those are kind of the classic, as we've seen symbolisms in this movie, light yeah. and dark, bad and good. Boom. Left and right. Two Neptunes. Gods of the sea. You have one on the left, one on the right. Captain Barbosa, Jack Sparrow. And we could do this all day. There you go. Can we do it all day? I could, but I'm not going to because I don't want to <laughs> kill people out there. But right? That's pretty interesting. If it you is, actually. want to break something like that down and think yeah. about it. Whether they did it on purpose or not, or I'm just reading into it. We'll say we just... I would uh, imagine it was done on purpose. It's possible. You know. Yeah. So that's my guess. That's yeah. my my theory. My fan theory on that. And then there's also, as Heather mentioned, some good cinematography. You have rowing into the cave where we get a good shot of the cursed crew. Specifically, Barbosa standing on the bow of the longboat like Washington crossing the Delaware. Kind of coming oh, into yeah. that. Which yeah. is really cool. 
And then what makes that perfect is basically it's just kind of silhouettes of them because there's not the light's not in the right spot. Right. So according to pirate lore, Isla de Muerta. Isla de, de Muerta. Isla de Muerta. Isla de Muerta. Okay. We'll go with your pronunciation. Gracias. <laughs> was an island of death that was marked on no map and could only be found by those who already knew where it was. The island itself is surrounded by a thick fog and a graveyard of wrecked ships in an area that was shark infested. It remained largely unexplored, save the cavern's boat, notably used by Captain Hector Barbosa and his crew to store their plunder loot. Oh, very cool. Yeah. The island is yeah. much like the Black Pearl. It's always surrounded in a fog. Yeah, and this gets into something weird. Weird? There's Yeah, because there's a lot of say speculation out there there's been talk and people have asked questions and you can even hear some of the actors talking about it for instance like Kira Knightley when she talks about the Black Pearl as being a ghost ship Mm -hmm. and other people talking about it being a supernatural ship or is the ship itself cursed and we're not talking about in any other movies but in the Curse of the Black Pearl a because also the name the Curse of the Black Pearl but people have actually wondered is that ship also cursed because for one thing, they're like, how does it sail because of the tattered sails? Right. And we're you know, we're not talking about that it also had oars that they could actually row and help yeah. propel it. But it's also surrounded always by an unnatural fog. So yes. was that something that the Pearl was or was it the crew? And the writers actually said the intention was not for the ship to actually have a curse or be supernatural. But it kind of morphed loosely into that because the production crew when they're doing the art and all that stuff actually kind of added a lot of that detail to do that but it wasn't necessarily the writer's intention nor is it something that they really wanted it to be supernatural the, oh, okay. the ship it's really about the crew yeah but wherever that black pearl goes there's always an unnatural fog and these other things so it was kind of this thing that maybe morphed or or kind of went with things as the movie developed and as they did the production right so it's the crew. Well, the crew's always on that's the Black right. Pearl. That's right. So that's what you could say. So they just kind of bring in the curse well, and onto the Black that's Pearl. Right. And, and that's why it's always in a fog. And Yeah. And, and that's a good point. Because actually, if you think back to when they first came into Tortu, or when they first came into Port Royal. Yeah. And Will looks out the blacksmith shop's window. You can see the fog rolling in down that alleyway where that cat runs. Yes. So the crew are there. I think that's probably what it is. The crew are coming on, getting coming on board or getting ready to come on land. The fog is preceding them. So I think it really is more. The, I agree with the writers that it's not necessarily the ship, at least it, for Curse of the Black Pearl. It's the crew. It's the crew. And that because that they're on the ship, it kind of by default. Right. They just have a fog. Their aura is an unnatural fog. Yes. Yeah, and the curse follows them. Yes. I don't know about you, but I have nothing else. And since wherever you go, there's an unnatural fog and I can barely see. It's now really built up so thick in the studio. It's pretty intense. So if you're okay, I'm ready to get out of here and then get to some light. (laughs) Really? Although (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one who's actually, say, left-handed and you're right-handed. So that would make you... Good and me sinister, uh-huh. which That's does fit why with my black have... heart and yes. why I like to end on death notes, which we really haven't done. So I'm glad I actually brought this up so I could leave with something a bit sinister. And you're the one with the unnatural fog. Maybe That's it is choking me. me out of here. Yeah, I guess it is me. I just always thought it was you. No, it's you. 
man, it just gets really intense when you're around. It must be this like, I just get so frustrated that this unnatural fog just builds up. It's it's like embracing the dark side. <laughs> I just really go to the dark side. That's not very nice. I know. I'll have to put like an R or walk the plank for myself on that. Walk the plank. Bet you will. All right. If that is the case. To the dungeons with you. Yeah. To the dungeons with me. See, this is why. See, I knew. <laughs> I, I said something like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. And then she comes back with to the dungeons with me. <laughs> I think we all know what's really going on. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow with minute 66 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. And our special guest, Adam Liebrick Johnson on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Arr, matey. What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up. The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags. While Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best-of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. 